people break down into two groups. When they experience something lucky, group number one sees it as more than luck, more than coincidence. They see it as a sign, evidence that there is someone up there watching out for them. Group number two sees it as just pure luck, a happy turn of chance. I'm sure the people in group number two are looking at those 14 lights in a very suspicious way. For them, this situation is a 50-50. Could be bad. Could be good. But deep down, they feel that whatever happens, they're on their own. And that fills them with fear. Yeah, there are those people. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Uh, powered by the Roll Up Network. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. I really appreciate all the support. Uh, before we jump into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Uh, it's got all of our interviews, episodes, our store, blog, all the good stuff's on there, and all the links to our social medias Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Go give us a follow or subscription. Uh, it helps us grow, and we really appreciate it. Uh, and we started a monthly Patreon. Not going to stay too long on this. Uh, if you want to help support us, uh, five or ten dollars a month uh not a lot of money but it, it helps us a lot and we're going to be giving out bonus perks and early episodes stuff like that uh tonight is brother brian's pick but before we jump into what he picked uh mike and dustin they also do another podcast uh it's about the history of college football i know this is mike's dream dream podcast and uh mike won't you tell the fans a little bit about that real quick uh yeah so uh God, i think we're what are we 13 episodes in now man Something like uh that. yeah so it's been a few weeks uh so a couple months ago we started a podcast about the past and future of college football and i thought the concept was a little more unique than just basically doing audio 30 for 30 um which some episodes are audio 30 for 30 and some are just me and dustin predicting what could happen in college football which is Sometimes a lot of fun, and sometimes it gets a little off the rails like this show does, so I'm sure you're very familiar with that. Um, but, you know, since we're here, we're going to go ahead and plug our uh, live Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope show that, that'll be airing every Saturday during this college football season. Uh, all three platforms, same time, 9.15 a.m. every Saturday. This Saturday, or well, actually, no, this coming up Saturday when you guys hear this, it will be a live show. So that's that's Eastern time, right? Mike? Right. Eastern time, 9 15 a.m. Eastern time, Saturday morning. We go for about an hour, so you don't have to miss a ton of college game day. You can have us on, have college game day on at the same time. But the but the podcast version, which you can find on the, all the same platforms you find this show on, is about the past and future of college football. And I don't know how much crossover there is between horror movie fans and uh college football fans but if you just like the witty banner that me and dustin give you every week then you should enjoy the, our our show yeah absolutely and uh you know if you're a florida state football fan then you definitely definitely are familiar with horror and uh you know we kind of <laughs> <laughs> we kind of we kind of bring the best part about it is we bring the camaraderie and the and the the banter that we bring on this show we take it into the 
something else that we're passionate about, which is college football. So check us out. It's called The Lateral. It's available everywhere you get the uh, get your podcast. And yeah, we appreciate the support. Hey, I, uh, where, where do I send the the bill for the plug here? The lateral. Oh God. Hey, Nico I'm Chen. glad you. I'm glad to say Nico Chin. Uh, I'm glad you said the name of the show because I just completely forgot to say the damn name of the show. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's called the lateral, which was a play on words because you can forward lateral, backwards lateral, and it felt like the right name for the yeah. show. Uh, like Nico mentioned, small dream of mine. Um, not, you know. Not the only dream, but something I was really passionate about and I have been for a long time now. Like I am this show, which is, I mean, I, I never envisioned having a horror movie podcast, but I knew that it was one of my favorite things to do was sit down and watch horror movies and dissect them with friends. And that's what this podcast turned into. And so as me and Dustin are discovering, we like to do that same exact thing, but about college football's past and future events yep. and, and current events as of now. So uh, we really enjoy it. And we thank you for letting us plug for the last five minutes. I'm just trying to get all my shit in, pal. Let's go back to the horror movies. Your nah, mic sounds awesome. your mic sounds amazing, Mike. I just want you to let you know. I'm just try, I was just trying to give you guys some signs. <laughs> hey, man. I tell you what, this is gonna be a good M night. <laughs> oh God. Hey, if you're hey, if you're ready for puns, stick around, baby. I got some Mel Gibson puns for that ass. All right, let's do this show. Well, college football is significant, even if you're not a fan. Uh, if you're a fan of this show, it's significant because that's what brought us four together was college football, yep. not horror movies. So uh, so thank God for Florida State. Otherwise, you wouldn't have Don't Go Out There. <laughs> I was going to say, we got a little lucky, to be honest. We got a little bit lucky yep. in the having this show because we all just happen to like the same football team. Well, basically, there, you know, people fall into two categories. There's those that think that events happen and it's luck. And there's, oh, sorry. Brian, why the hell did you pick this movie? Because it's amazing. Speaking of that, Brian, what movie did you pick? Let's jump into it. Let's get into it. So I, uh, I went with M. Night Shyamalan's Signs from 2002. And, uh, you know, I actually remember seeing this movie in the theater. Um, it, it affected me so much. It was so entrancing. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about it, but there's a scene where it shows the alien for the first time. And this is just so, like, it, it was burned into my memory how the crowd reacted so much that I, I went back with a buddy of mine just specifically because I wanted to see his reaction to that scene. Uh, I love this movie. I love the performances from all the actors. And I think this is definitely one of Mel Gibson's best performances, which may be a hot take because, I mean, that's saying a lot. He's made some amazing and some of my favorite movies, you know, of all time. And, um, you know, this is definitely my favorite M. Night uh, Shyamalan movie. Uh, I think he wrote a tremendous script. And this one may not be for everyone, but it's definitely for me. All right. Uh, I'll go next. Uh, I think this is going to be another Cabin in the Woods uh, kind of review. Wow. Uh I don't hate this movie, but uh, I think I fall into that category. Brian mentioned last that it really wasn't for me. It just, I don't know what it was, honestly, because every, I haven't seen all of M. Night's movies, but I've seen a, you know, a decent amount. This one just, I don't know. It just, it had no effect on me, really. It just, it, I honestly thought it was kind of, kind of boring and not much happened. And like, I feel like Dustin and Mike with Predator the night, like the first 45 minutes just, just drug on and just did did nothing, absolutely nothing for me. Uh, but great acting. Uh, I think M. Night did write a good script, but it just it just wasn't for me. Uh, Dustin, you want to go next? 
Yeah, sure. I'll go ahead and go next. So the, this one is, I could kind of see what you're talking about, about the first half of the movie lulling a little bit, but the difference in this and Predator is like Predator had a lot going on. It just had nothing to do with the storyline. Uh, this right. movie, you know, anyway, we'll get to it in the same scene, scene. I'll save that. I remember watching this movie came out my freshman year of high school. It came out in August 2002. It's when I started my freshman year at Loudoun High School in East Tennessee. Um, I remember watching this movie for the first time. We had uh, one of those satellite boxes to get all the channels and pay-per-views for free. Hey. The black box. The we statute of limitations has passed. I can, I'm not incriminating anyone, but we had That's it. Right. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I watched it when it was technically on pay-per-view. And it was one of those movies, like, I enjoyed it so much, I watched it a lot. And, you know, call it nostalgia, call it whatever, but I watched it again tonight for the first time in a couple of years. And... I think it holds up tremendously well. And obviously there's some things that are dated like uh, VCRs and recording television over an old tape. Um, sure. But I think that this movie, the acting in this movie is phenomenal. The script in this movie is phenomenal. The score and lack thereof at times is phenomenal. Um, so I, I think respectfully, Nico, I think this is one of M night's better movies. Um, I love unbreakable and I love split. We're not going to talk about glass. Um, I, you know, the M night, M night's a kind of a hit or miss kind of guy. Um, but this movie hits for me. So I was very excited that Brian picked it because it's definitely on my list of ones that I wanted to pick. Yeah. I'm, I'm in agreement with Brian and Dustin. It's again, it, I could understand Nico's point of it not being for him. If you view this movie as straight as an alien invasion movie, it's probably not for you. If you're a fan of that genre, um, because I don't really think this is about the alien invasion. I'll wait until we get into the scene by scene. But um, yeah. yeah, so I'm a fan of M Night uh, of M Night Shyamalan. I really like this movie. I like I like um, Split. I like The Sixth Sense. I think it, I love Unbreakable. Like I think all those are really really good. A lot of his early stuff is good. Um, some of the later stuff has been hit and miss for sure. Uh, you know, you guys touched on it. It has phenomenal acting to me. Uh, whether you like Mel Gibson on a personal level or not, it's really uh, has nothing to do with his acting ability as far as this movie goes. He's great. I think Joaquin Phoenix is awesome. Um, I, th I think Roy Culkin is fantastic as a little kid actor in this movie. He is freaking great so as a child actor Breslin. to me. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, and I was going to say, Abigail Breslin, who's very young here, before you know her and Rory and even Joaquin, both or all three go on to do some really big things. But in this movie, you could see the chops. Like you could just see where they were, where all their careers were headed. And I think they're all the whole cast. Which basically, this is the whole cast. Which I like about this movie. It's a very short cast. There's not a million characters. I like that about this movie as well. Um, this is to me one of M Night's better shot movies from a direction standpoint. I like some of the shots he uses. Now I'm going to go ahead and give you a warning. And and pretty much every scene breakdown, there's a sh shot that lingers through a hole or through a door or through a plant and it pulls away and the score plays happens in every scene breakdown that we have coming up. I have it. I have it on alert in my notes. So I'm going to make sure <laughs> I bring that up every time because it's the same shot from a different perspective. And I think it's really cool that he keeps the uh, consistency. Yeah. So I'm about to ruin a little bit of don't go out there history. If we're calling this movie horror, which going into th th this show, I would have said no, but since we've expanded our horizon so much and we're lumping it into a subgenre here. Technically this would be the first or the second horror movie I ever saw. Um, 
if we're not, because I always said it started with Halloween 07, and that's when my fandom started for sure. But I saw this movie way before I saw Halloween 07. Um, because aliens aren't scary to me, so I didn't mind watching this movie, and I liked it then, and I like it now. Um, if The Sixth Sense is horror, then that's the first horror movie I ever saw. <laughs> so there, there goes two M. Night movies right there. Uh, again, looking forward to talking about it, man, because I do think, and I know the theories out there, so we can go ahead and address it off the top about these aliens actually being demons and this all being an allegory for a man that loses his faith. I, If we want to go throughout and do it or if we just want to save it to the end, I think this movie is better with that theory than it is without that theory. Also, I, I find it worth noting that uh, five of our last ten movie reviews have been involving aliens. That's huh. interesting. It is. Y'all trying to say something, man? It started with Cloverfield. That great, great movie. You are welcome. <laughs> oh man! Now we're getting away from it. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, are y'all ready to jump into it? Wait till I pick yeah, Mars let's Attacks. Let's go. <laughs> you don't have to do that. It's a good movie. To, you're right. Dustin, we already had to. Hey, <laughs> we already had to change one of your picks. Don't go fucking around. No, come on. Mars Attacks is good. Come on. Dustin, <laughs> that's not a horror movie. Franklin picking Mars Attacks. All right. Anywho, let's jump into it. <laughs> Men in black soon come. Go ahead, Nico. One hour, oh. one hour photos up next. We get away from these damn aliens. Come on. <laughs> All right. Uh, film starts with opening credits and an upbeat, ominous score. Now we're at a farm with lots of corn. We see Graham wake up suddenly. He gets out of bed and picks up some stuff left on the ground. We hear a loud scream and he checks the kids' room. And Merrill, his brother, falls out of his bed. Merrill and Graham meet, then hear kids calling out for dad. They run in the cornfields. They find his daughter, Bo. They hear Morgan now, and he tells Dad the dogs are barking and woke us up. I think God did it, he says, as he points at the signs in the cornfields. The dogs are barking frantically. Aerial shot of the signs left in the field now. Now we get like a, a, a screen that says Bucks County, Pennsylvania, 45 minutes out of Philadelphia. Graham is on the phone now, and he calls a neighbor to see if it was a prank by the kids. The dog peed on the floor, and he has the kids take it outside. He cleans up the pee and the officer shows up finally at the house two hours later. She tells him of the holdup, some old woman spitting on skateboards. She asks what happened to the crops. Morgan is on the grill and Bo says the water is contaminated. It tastes funny. She pours it into the dog bowl and the dog snaps at her. The officer is amazed how the corn is bent and not broken. No one else around has had any problems in their crops. He asks the officer to please stop calling him father. She asks what's wrong. He can't hear his children. They find Morgan with the dog and Houdini is dead. It fell on him trying to attack Bo. He says to his dad he isn't hurt. Graham carries Bo towards inside and asks Merrill to tie up Isabel, the other dog. Nighttime now and Graham wakes up suddenly and Bo is there staring. She says a monster is outside her door and she asks for a glass of water. He checks on Morgan and takes Bo back to bed. He asks what she's thinking about. Why do you talk to mommy when you're alone? They both say that she never answers. Graham looks out the window and sees something standing on his roof. He wakes up Merrill. He wakes Merrill up and says it's the neighbor kids again. Merrill is ready to kick some ass. He tells Graham they gotta act crazy and run around the house and scare them. <laughs> they run out and scream and threaten the kids. Uh, we see a trash can fall to the ground, and the two men meet up after making a few laps. They now hear something crawling on the roof. They now hear a thud from the swing, and they see something running through the cornfield. The officer is back and asks Morgan if they have an old baby monitor. They can use it as a walkie-talkie. Graham asks Bo to turn the volume down on the cartoons 
and scolds her about all the glasses of water left around. Officer asks Merrill how he's doing and how's the work at the gas station. She tells him it was a nice thing to do to move in with, with his brother. Graham finds more glasses of water left around. Graham is back to the table describing what he saw. She doesn't know what to look for, a giant or a midget. They keep saying it was very dark. She brings up an out-of-town woman who freaked out over not having her cigarettes. She thinks we should keep all possibilities open. She tells Merrill she doesn't appreciate the sarcasm. She asks now if they have any enemies, maybe someone from the church who's upset he left. Merrill says he's fast, but this this guy was fast and toying with him. Morgan says everything on the TV is the same. All right, Brian, that's the opening scenes I got. What you got for me? I, I, I love this intro. You know, right off the bat, it just kind of drops you in. Um, after the credits, which I, let me just touch on the credits. I love the score from James Newton Howard, not only in these titles, but like throughout the whole movie. You know, that score that score and the titles had, had an insidious feel almost to it. And which hell that's an old throwback, you know, just in itself. But, but Howard has uh, scored some absolute blockbusters. And this was actually his third teaming up with uh, Shyamalan after uh, six cents and unbreakable. And he would actually be nominated for an Oscar for his later work on the village. Um, but I, I love how it just kind of drops you in here where, where you're in the start of this particular story, but, but you're in the middle of Graham's story you know, in this, and this family story. So you have to like pick up bits and pieces throughout, you know, including these little hints that Shama left for you in this, in this opening with, with no dialogue, you know, get the picture, you know, showing he's a priest, the place on the wall, where you can kind of tell where a cross used to be, you know, insinu insinuating that whole loss of faith. And, you know, those few lines where you kind of find out his wife is dead. I just, I think that's just smart writing to me. You know, that's, it's not spoon fed, uh, you know, to the audience. And, and I, for one, appreciated that a lot. Um, cinematography, you know, through the, through the cornfields, you know, the, the switching to single hand held cam, you know, the, the first person point of view shots, you know, here all the way to the, like, to that wide zoom helicopter shot, which I'm sure that would be a, you know, drone shot today. And that's honestly kind of a shame because like here, I, I liked the whole shaky helicopter feel, you know, of the shot, just kind of amazing, you know, of those amazing crop circles. Um, you know, Mike touched on it, the introduction to everyone in this cast, phenomenal. I think everyone touched on the fact that Joaquin Phoenix uh, was was great as Merrill here. Um, he, he hadn't done a ton before this, but he was definitely coming off as high as Gladiator. So I'm sure we kind of touched on it off, off air. I'm sure he did, uh, him and Gibson, I think, did, you know, probably pull a pretty penny to do this. And, uh, you know, I want to give my, my props to Rory Culkin, too, He's gotten to be, you know, even better. He's gotten older. Scream Four, which we reviewed on DontGoOutThere.com, <laughs> and uh, Abigail Breslin, who you guys, you know, said they were young, but this was actually her her uh, film debut here. And uh, you know, we've definitely talked about on here child actors being so hit or miss, um, but they, man, they're they're just so great in my opinion. Yep. And uh, I, I want to shout out Cherry Jones as Paskey. She may have stolen some of these scenes here with Gibson, and you can't say that much about Gibson movies. I thought she was fantastic. Um, you know, Mike brought up the opening shot through the window, you know, all the windows. This one's very cool to me because I love how it has the callback at the end of the movie. I didn't notice that throughout. The, I've seen this a million times. I didn't notice that it's in every single one of our scenes. I did definitely notice it was in here and then, you know, closes with basically the same shot at the end. Um, you know, and, and just that the subtle little throw in when they find Houdini as, as Pete and, and Graham 
doesn't want to take him to the vet because you find out later why he doesn't want to take him to the vet. But it's 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 subtle things like that and amazing script that you don't catch on that first. I, at least I didn't catch on the first watch. I didn't. I did not catch at all that he didn't want to take him to the vet because he was in. You know, because we'll, we'll find out later. But anyway, that's all I had, Mike. Yeah. So I already touched on the acting, but right here I had you know great cast. For this family. Like, I love that we basically, this is it. You know, outside of a couple appearances from the sheriff and Ray, like, I think this cast is basically the entire movie, and I think it's really, really awesome that way. Um, I mentioned some of these, you know, lingering pull-away shots, and you, and you get a great one here through the cornfield where they're looking for their kids. Of all four of them kind of layered, staggered, and, you know, M9 kind of pulls away that shot, and the score starts to play. I love it. I think it's a really, really cool look. Um, listen, some of the dialogue in this movie is, I mean, most of it's really, really good, but there's some funny stuff. And part of the reason to me, some of this stuff is funny is because scary movie three ruined it. It absolutely ruins this movie in some spots, um, because they make fun of it so much, but, um, you know, she's talking about the old, you know, the old lady, the peas, and she sprayed whatever. And I'm like, she sprayed what? That's some, uh, if you've seen a league of their own, that's some good peeing, man. Uh, I, uh, so 10 minutes in and the best actor in the whole movie hasn't even spoken yet. By the way, that's Joaquin Phoenix. I know Dustin and me have a good love for our man, Joaquin. Um, <laughs> look. <laughs> there's a monster or an alien or whatever. And you, and you're, and all you want is a glass of water. Come on, man. MFTK. All I'm going to say, all I'm going to say S- sweet kid, but MFTK. Um, <laughs> my man, Merrill has a terrible plan to go outside. Like it's a bad plan. They do it and they make all that noise. But it, if me and Dustin were going to go outside to check on something or me and Brian, and the only plan this dude could come up with was to go out and make a bunch of noise and all this shit, I would have been very, very pissed. But, you know, going outside, running around, making noise is just a normal day for Mel Gibson's personal life. So what do I know? Anyway, um, I love how this how this sheriff thinks there's just an Olympic athlete that just hangs around the cornfields of Pennsylvania. Like, it's just, look, she is great, Brian. You mentioned her. she's great as, as an actress. She pulls this character off really well. But her character, I don't like. She's asking awful questions, uh, you, you know she's asking really bad questions to Mel. He doesn't know how to answer it. I guess he'll never know what women want. Let that linger. Uh-huh. Let that linger. Oh, there you go. Let that linger. Oh, <laughs> uh, she also asked him if anyone would have a problem with the, you know, with them or have any kind of grudge. I believe there's a whole sect of religion that has a problem with Mel Gibson. So it could have been anybody anyway. Um, so this set of scenes shot really well, just like most of the cinematography in M night's movies. Uh, I just, I'm sorry. I had to do this. He's a former priest, huh? Guess you could say he lost his passion of the Christ. Okay, back to you. Wow. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. Come on, that one was good. That one that was, was good. good. Was, Come, on. I would Come ne- on. I would never. I would never. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, buddy. Dad joke central. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a great set of scenes as well. Uh, great opening. We're just dropped into this family, like you said, Brian. And I really like that they they really build the dynamic nicely. Like you can tell throughout that it's just a single dad that's, you know, he's got his brother there with him trying to raise these kids and they don't come out and tell you what happened, but they give these little gems, these little hidden nuggets like the uh, like the thing with called the doctor. He doesn't treat animals. 
he'll know what to do. Like there's a, you know, there's a reason that he doesn't want to go to the vet. I think that's brilliant. The, uh, the dialogue is hilarious to me, uh, mm-hmm. in times, but it's also when it's meant to be serious, it's really damn good dialogue. Like everything, everything, I think every word spoken in this movie feels believable and real and authentic to me. And I think that a lot of movies fell on that. Uh, Rob Zombie never fails on that, but, uh, and I definitely got it right. Uh, like when he's oh, God damn it. <laughs> when they're running outside and Mel Gibson, <laughs> Mel Gibson says, I'm insane with anger. <laughs> Meryl says, we're going to whoop your ass, bitch. And then uh, when, Mel Gibson, when Graham says, it's time for an ass whooping. And then they meet back up and he goes, I curse. And Meryl says, I heard. <laughs> it's so <laughs> yeah, funny to great. me. Uh, but, yeah. you know, if they're chasing an alien around the house, uh, Graham really could have, you know, really would have benefited him to be carrying around a lethal weapon. But um, oh, here we go. <laughs> Very nice, man. We've got some doozies with Mel. Yeah, thank you. Got um, some good stuff here. Yeah. So, but it, it's a great set of scenes. I like the uh, like the the dynamic. Like I said, when she's telling, she's asking him questions. First of all, the movie, like I said, does date itself at times. Another way it dates itself is with the use of the M word. Can't really say midget anymore. That's offensive. Um, little people. Um, but it, you could really get you really get a sense of how overwhelmed Graham is as a single dad with the water thing. Like I think there's just little things like that when he's asking her about it. Like, what's wrong with this one? What's wrong with this one? And then he just gives up and puts all the glasses back down when he realizes how many there are. Like, it's just one of those, like, oh, God, you know, it's never-ending moments, and he goes and sits back down at the table. I thought that was brilliant. It's just a little subtle thing that they did. Um, you are right, Mike. We are both very high on Joaquin Phoenix, and it's it's crazy watching this movie back, just how young he was in this movie. I know, like you said, he was fresh off Gladiator, which is a great movie as well, but, um, mm-hmm. like, just, I mean, you go, go, go watch Joker right after this. It's just crazy to me. <laughs> it's a completely different person almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but the child actors, these are two of the better child actors that we've, we've seen in film. And I love how the, speaking of the score, I know I'm kind of all over the place with this, but the score, like you mentioned, it's great. And, uh, what's his name again? James Newton, James Newton Howard. That's it. So he actually started composing the score before the film was even shot because M night provided him with such detailed storyboards and, I think that's that's incredible to like not even see it really in in motion and for him to come up with such a fantastic score. But they also know when to cut it. Like when they're walking through the cornfields at the beginning, it just really creates that eerie moment of, you know, something's lurking. Like it really builds tension by not having the score. And yeah. when then when they run through the cornfields and get over to uh, Morgan with Houdini, there's no music playing. Like it's just, it does a great job of making it feel very eerie. And so yeah. overall, I think it's a great opening set of scenes. There's not a whole lot action. Like there's not a whole lot happening. It's more just building right. dynamic. But this is a prime example of how to properly do it. Sometimes right. you can make it where it's just like I don't care about these people. I care about these yeah. people. So yeah, uh, great set of scenes. I'm all in. A couple of other things I wanted to say, like the. I wanted to point out how awesome it was to me whenever I found out that those crop circles weren't CG, that they were all, you know, practical crop circles and deep cuts. I did not find this on IMDb trivia. Um, I actually was stumbled upon it searching, you know, IMDb uh, uh, credits, 
but do you guys know who the alien is who played the alien who was on the roof here in the scene? My boy, the great Derek Mears, the best Jason. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I, I love that by the way. I wanted to piggyback off something Dustin said. This is one of those movies that uses silence as a score and it's perfect. They use it against the score with the score. Like it's really, really well done. And you know, you said, you know, Joaquin and others using the M word is offensive. You know, my man likes to walk the line. (laughs) This may be the best episode of all time. Let's go. Man, after all this scene by scene, I guess Joaquin's not the only Joker we got. <laughs> all right, anyway, <laughs> but I, I tell you, Dustin already brought Joker up. But go ahead. They, they really did show that they they both possess a brave heart by running out there and facing the unknown. <laughs> Man, you got you guys will not hear a dad joke from me tonight. This is going to be the three three amigos here. That's going to be their their show tonight. No dad jokes from me. I'm I'm cutting mine out. You're the only dad here. Anywho, let's oh, move oh, to the- oh, 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 I don't know about that. All right, we see on the TV now all over the world the the signs in these people's fields. The guy on TV says either the greatest hoax ever or it's real. Morgan says extraterrestrials. Officer says she researched some on people who could do this to his field, but how are so many people in on this? She says his family has been through a lot and to take the kids into town and worry about common people things. Take care of yourself, and she drives away. In the car now... And we turn the radio on and right back off because they hear the news. Graham gives Morgan book money and they all split up. Pizza in 15, he says. Guy in the bookshop thinks it's a hoax and Morgan asks if they have a book on extraterrestrials. Graham is picking up Morgan's asthma medicine and tells them to not call him father anymore. The worker asks if he'll listen. She needs to clear her conscience. He reiterates he's not a reverend anymore. Merrill is is talking to an army recruiter. He says there's been strangers around these parts. They're probing checking things out to evaluate, but not hurt anyone. Merrill asks him for a pamphlet. He now asks Merrill about if he played baseball. He remembers him and when he set the record. Uh, Merrill has five minor league records. He didn't make the pros because he had the record amount of strikeouts. He said it felt wrong not to swing. Bo, Bo has problems with people's drinking water. Another soda commercial, and Morgan buys the book. The cashier is confessing her sins to Graham now. We now see Ray while the family eats pizza. He makes eye contact with Graham, and he gets in the car, and he leaves. Bo asks who he is, and Graham eats while the others stare on. Back to the house, and we get weird feedback on the baby monitor. Morgan asks what what if it's catching a signal from them. Merrill hates on the people doing the crops, calling them nerds who never had girlfriends. Morgan turns it up and hears a code. They get out of the car, and Morgan hears voices. Bo Bo heard them, but Graham says maybe it's just another baby monitor. Merrill asks to hold it and the sounds increase when they both hold it together. Morgan climbs up on top of the car and says the signal gets better the higher they get. They hear two of them talking with clicking and popping noises. Then it cuts just straight back to static. All right, Brian, go ahead. Okay, so I love how, you know, we brought up Cloverfield earlier, but I love how this isn't just, you know, some big monster movie. I mean, hell, there's... There's plot holes that people, you know, kind of try to throw in this movie because because it doesn't give you all the information. But I mean, this is told from the perspective of this one farm family. So so you get the information that they get in real time. Uh, You know, I love that. You know, in real life, that's that's not that information is not going to be everything. And it reminds me, honestly, of 03 Dawn of the Dead in that regard. 
And, and, you know, just like in real life, it's the TV, you know, it's your neighbors, um, that, you know, makes me anyway, relate to this family even more. Um, you know, we are them. And, and I love how Shyamalan uses the radios from the pharmacy, the, the bookstore TV, you know, everywhere in mm-hmm. town to try to give you and them, you know, the little information that we do get. And I, again, I love the subtle humor with those little soda commercials. Um, you know, shit, Tracy at the pharmacy, um, Shyamalan nailed that in this. And by the way, Tracy Abernathy, the girl at the pharmacy that professes her sins, you may recognize Merritt Weaver from, she was in the new girl, but she was also Denise in the walking dead on a bunch of episodes. Um, I also love the first time that you see M night as Ray, which didn't take me out of the movie at all, because I'm pretty sure at this point that I hadn't seen the sixth sense. Um, honestly, I'm not sure when I even watched the sixth sense because to be honest, sidebar, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but, but we can get into that whenever we review that at some point, but I had no idea that this was even Shyamalan. So it didn't give me that, Oh, Hey, feeling that you get, you know, whenever you see, you know, Stan Lee in Marvel movies or something like that. Um, you know, and lastly, I love the subtext of this baby monitor scene, which I did not get the first 15 million times I watched this movie, but now that I, I, I see this whole movie this way, it's, it just take, it just, to me, it makes this even deeper and, you know, but they can only hear the sounds whenever they're all touching. And the fact that that insinuates that the only way that they're going to make, you know, make it through really anything, but especially this movie is working together. And I thought that that's just so, there's a lot of deep cuts in this that takes some some rewatches to really get the meanings, and I, I love that. I love that about this movie. It's so smart. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> there's again, Scary Movie Three kind of not. It doesn't ruin the entire movie for me, but there's just certain parts where I, I can't help but think of the Scary Movie Three counterpart to this. But uh, so you get these crop circles, and look, man, the designs of these things are very intricate, which never made any any sense to me as far as aliens go um because it looks like circle circle dot dot they're giving everybody cootie shots and i don't see what the big deal is about that man you're trying to help some brothers out thank you thank you dustin thank you um look i love i love the abernathy girl behind the counter i love that scene uh you know the acting there is (laughs) i think it's really really good and she looks like someone who actually needs some help and you get to see a human side of graham that we haven't quite seen up to this point yeah, he's a single father and he's struggling, but he really kind of he takes the time to sit and listen to her, even though he doesn't want to. That's not his role anymore. He's lost that faith. And I think him kind of doing that is a good is a sign of good faith, at least in this instance. Um, man, when Merrill walks into this sheriff's office, I would have beat the shit out of this guy that was stuck in the 80s talking about his 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 minor league batting career, man. I'm just like Merrill. I'm swinging at everything. I'm swinging high. I'm swinging low. It's probably why I stopped playing in in the in the tenth grade. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm just saying, I stand with you, Merrill. I would always swing at stuff too, man. Um, but I love how they go over what's a curse word. It, you know, is douchebag a curse? And I'm like, douchebag is not a curse. And by the way, I hate that curse words even fucking exist. Words should not be fucking curse words. Words are just fucking words. God dang it, motherfucker. Anyway. Um, but here you go. You get M. Night Shyamalan. Look, he's actually really good as this Ray character. I think he's he's much, much better than Quentin Tarantino is <laughs> as an actor-director. Um, not that he's the best actor-director I've ever seen, but he, he plays this part well. And I love that they don't tell you who that is yet. 
I love that they kind of keep that from us for at least for this set of scenes. I think that's really a really well done cliffhanger because you kind of wondering, well, who is this guy? Why why does he matter? And I I, I like that a lot. Here goes another scene where they're sitting at the pizza parlor or, or the pizza restaurant. And here goes another shot where all four of them are frozen in a pose, looking out at something, and M. Night pulls away with the score playing. Same shot. That's the first time you see that in this set of scenes. Then you get in the car and got all the baby monitor stuff, and that's not static. They keep calling it static. That sounds like my stomach after tacos. That is not static, man. That sounds like starving Marvin on South Park. So, um, look, 33 minutes in, we're on a really good pace to me. And I know a lot of people say it's slow. Nico thinks it's slow and I get it. But at that point, you know, right here in my notes, we're 33 point whatever minutes in. And I think it's, the pace is fine. It's building to something. The suspense is there. I want to know more. Um, and I understand if that's not for you. And look, I understand the criticisms of this film. I really do. Because again, if this is just, if you view this solely as an alien invasion movie, it's boring as shit right now. Like, there is no doubt about that. I understand. But if you take it as, a like, basically a movie about family and love and faith and all that stuff, you're invested. And I'm invested in these characters. And by the way, at the end with the walkie-talkie here, like Brian said, I love the point is you got to work together. You got to stick together. It's the only way we're going to make it out of this thing. And you get yet another, all four, frozen, in a pose as M. Night pulls the camera away. So that's the third one. I have them all marked, so... Hate to tell you guys. Um, not a bad set of scenes at all. I like that we're building to something instead of just going right into it. You know, all you know, just I, I don't want stuff for the sake of stuff. If stuff's gonna be there, I want it to mean something. And while this doesn't have a lot of quote unquote stuff, it's got a lot of dynamic and character building, and I like that for it. Yeah, so I, again, I like this set of scenes as well. Um, I don't have too many negative things to say about this movie if you can't already tell. Um I think it's hilarious when he goes to the pharmacy to get, uh, you know, Morgan's asthma medications. And she's like, can I confess to you? And he's like, I don't do that anymore. And then we leave. And when we come back, she's confessing to him. Like that shit just cracked me up. Cause he's like, you could tell that the good man's still there. Like the, he can deny that he's, he still has his faith or whatever, but you could tell it's still in his nature because he stood there and let her confess. But a great touch was having her confessing all this, and you could tell that he's been standing there for a while because you get the old man that peeks over his shoulder, like, "Are we done yet?" I thought that was a great, that was a great touch, and uh, yeah, it was funny when she's like, "I've cursed thirty-seven times." Wait, is douchebag a curse word? And he's like, "Depends on how it's used." You, Brian, you're a douchebag for making out with Barbara. Yes, that's a curse word. Like that, that was funny to me. Um, and he just seems so beaten when he says, he's like, yes. Yeah. He's like, damn it, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Cause, yeah, because it's like he already knew the answer. It's like, I know you're not talking about an actual douchebag. So, yeah, it's a curse word. Um, the guy in the, in the Army recruitment office uh, just wasn't believable to me. That's, a, that's one of my biggest knocks on this movie is a guy that looks and dresses like that. Looks like he's stuck in a fucking White Snake video from 1988. Thank you. He's not going to know all this baseball shit. Like I just have, in my experience, he, he looks like one look, of <laughs> he yeah. looks like one of the guys that pushes Billy Idol or or, or that helps Billy Idol push Glenn out of the plane and, and Wedding Singer. Come on, man! 
That's <laughs> actually true. Uh, so guys like that, just in my experience, don't keep up with baseball, especially enough to know who holds what record, even if it's someone from your own hometown. Like that's just that was the biggest unbelievable thing in this movie to me. Even more unbelievable than the aliens. So, um, especially minor league. Yeah, minor league records. Like, come on. Um, the guy, uh, or I'm sorry, the guy in the bookstore <clears throat> that was had the conspiracy theory. Wait, ain't that another Mel Gibson movie? Wasn't he in a movie called Conspiracy Theory? Anyway, um, <laughs> he was a conspiracy theorist though. Uh, with the they're just trying to sell you cokes i thought that was hilarious because uh you know there's always people like that like this is he was this might have been the first instance in uh history of someone saying basically this is fake news because he's like this is not what it's about they're just trying to sell sodas and then the other soda commercial comes on i thought that was hilarious um we get back to the house oh and also when they're sitting there at the at the diner and they're having their pizza or whatever it was I thought it was funny when Graham just opens up with, I don't want any of you hanging out with Tracy Abernathy alone. Yes, <laughs> yeah. It was yes. funny because he had just heard her air out all her shit. Yes. And she, he's like, don't, don't hang out around her alone. Uh, so that was funny. But they get back to the house and they're sitting in the car and Morgan's, you know, putting it all out there, man. This is what's going on. This is what I think's happening. And then Meryl just shoots it down. No, these are just a bunch of nerds that, come up with all these theories blah 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 and they can't get girlfriends and they're going back and forth and i love like a it's it's like a solid minute after he says it um bo chimes in with why can't they get girlfriends like, oh it's so great dude, it's the so comedic great. timing is so perfect because that's just yes. like a little kid pick oh, up absolutely. on one thing that you say and just bring it back up to you so I, that's i think the the script in this movie is phenomenal um and but then I also love how quickly Merrill changed his tune, like he really changed his mind. He went from no, this is all bogus. This yeah, is I have that conspiracy yeah. shit. And then uh, the second he thinks he hears something on the monitor, he's like, no, wait, <laughs> like he's just all in at this point. And so I thought that was hilarious because you're never a believer until you have something to believe in. It's like his mind was changed in that instance. So uh, again, I don't think the pacing's bad at all because it's so suspenseful and like you can really feel the tension based on the weird occurrences happening and i think that the acting had plays a has a huge part in that and then the uh the the lack of score in some places like it just most movies and most composers most directors they would put a score in, yeah. in some of these scenes where mm -hmm. the fact that we didn't have music going on just makes it so much more eerie so great job again uh it would be really hard if i were uh It'd be really hard if I were Graham's character to not want to get my payback against the man who killed my wife. Thank you. Yeah, I'd probably be asking for That's a, a hefty ransom. <laughs> we did it again. Uh, hold on. We're, we're gonna it's almost sure. like the... <laughs> All right. Nighttime now, and Graham takes food out to Isabel, who's barking frantically at the cornfield. Graham still thinks it's make-believe. He grabs a flashlight and walks into the cornfield. Graham is in the flattened part and says they're wasting their time. You're not going to get famous, he shouts. He backs away back into the field into a path and drops the flashlight when he hears clicks in his ear behind him. He picks the light up and sees something alien-like walk back into the field. He runs away now. Back in the house, Graham walks in and sits down quietly. The kids and Merrill like go to him. Let's turn on the TV, he says. We see unidentified crafts in the air in Mexico City. 
Morgan says they need to record over Bo's recital, but they use a different tape to record over instead. It's from Mexico City, all real, authentic footage. Still on the couch later on, and the kids are asleep. Merrill says people will probably think it's the end of the world, and Graham says yes, he believes it. He asks Graham to pretend to be who he used to be. Graham tells him of the two types of people, and I just wrote, it's a nice stretch of dialogue by Graham. Uh, I don't think I can really do it justice scene by scene wise. Are you the kind that sees signs or, or miracles, or do you believe people are lucky? Merrill now tells her the story at the party with Randa when she throws up all over herself. <laughs> he says he believes in miracles. Those <laughs> lights are a miracle. He asked Graham which type he is. The last words Colleen said before she died was, see, swing away. One of Merrill's baseball games popped into her head as she died. We are all on our own, he tells Merrill. <clears throat> Excuse me. Father Graham arrives to a crash, and this is a flashback, and the officer asks what he knows. Ray fell asleep. He wasn't drunk. She's talking, but she's not in an ambulance. Graham wakes up from the dream on the couch. He follows extension cords to Merrill in the closet where he's watching the news. I wrote, he's obsessed. He says a bird flew in a wall in the sky like an invisible shield. There's a theory on the crop circle that some kind of there's some kind of landmark, a visual mapping system. Graham takes a shower, then looks outside and doesn't see his kids. He finds them reading a book with ten full hats so the aliens can't read their minds. The book tells them all about the aliens. Bo tells them it's serious and don't make fun of the author. Make contact or they're hostile, the two reasons aliens would come here. He flips through the book and it looks like their house getting lasered and he sees three bodies on the ground. Phone rings and Graham hears the word father and then they hang up. He's going to Ray Reddy's house. Bo asks Morgan if he thinks anything bad will happen. He will protect her, he says. And then he asks, who said I was going to die? All right, go ahead, Brian. So I love the the scene in the cornfield with Graham, you know, at night. The the jokes are gone. It's just, you know, suspense, intensity. Um, the cuts in here I think are great. Again, you know, they use that steady cam and then again go into that first person POV shot, you know, to see what Graham sees. And, and just the sound design, like, you know, Dustin was talking about, no music, just the sounds of the wind hearing of the chattering of the alien, you know, and even just getting that little glimpse of a leg, you know, again, for, I don't know you said we've done like five of 10 monster movies, just about giving you but th this right here gives you that classic jaws and the Hitchcocky. And once again, don't show the monster just bits and pieces of it, you know, and, and let the audience mind fill in the rest. And it's just, to me, I love movies that do that is so powerful. Um, you know, and just, just these scenes of them, you know, just sitting here soaking in the information of the TV and people may think that this is boring and maybe this is part that Nico, you know, kind of thinks is a little bit boring, but to me, like, not only does that add so much to the movie, this gives me personally like a nostalgic feeling I had, like when we had hurricanes here in Florida, in the Gulf or, or come in when I was really little, like this was us, what we would as a family all all pile up on the couch, have our eyes glued to the TV, watching the news reports or with the lamps on, you know, with, you know, which us all being together, watching something on TV is something we never did. So when it was at this point, it was definitely some shit going on somewhere. And we were watching the news. Um, also, again, here, Culkin, phenomenal job. I think with this and, and the, the the using Uncle Merrill's tape and it being the swimsuit special, oh that that cracked me up. It had just it's so subtly like so subtle with this humor that he injects in here and just it releases that tension that you're feeling, um, you know, because you're you're glued to the TV, soaking in this information just like they are, 
And I think that's that's phenomenal. Lastly, you know, of course, Gibson and Phoenix talking about the two groups of people and, and luck versus chance and just two Hollywood heavyweights. It's just absolutely phenomenal acting, especially by Gibson here. And and yep. Shyamalan's camera work, you know, where I like zoom in, zooms in on on Phoenix's face during Gibson's speech, you know, coupled with that whole flashback of Colleen. To me, this is one of the most powerful groups of scenes in this entire movie, just because of all of that I mentioned. Go ahead, Mike. Absolutely, man. Uh, so, you know, right off the bat, we get the dog kind of barking all crazy, which 99% of the time, if a dog is going nuts, I'm going to trust that dog. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm turning the other way. But I do love, you know, you mentioned it. I love the shots from, from when Graham enters this, you know, field of corn. Like, I think it is so damn well made. The way the lighting is used, the way the flashlight is used against the edge of darkness. <laughs> did it again um <laughs> but you know there's a little bit uh there's a little bit of cliche with him dropping the flashlight and it quote unquote breaking and him kind of tapping it to turn it back on that's a little cliche but it's good it's 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 not too on the nose so i'm willing to forgive it you know he he hears stuff sees stuff you know and he run he he, he goes on a chicken run back to his house thank you thank you sorry i I could do this all day. <laughs> um, yeah, so this man was crazy, though, because there's no way if I'm starting to hear this stuff, I'm turning off the TV for my whole family. No way, man. This is 9-11 slash Columbine type stuff, man. We're glued to this thing. Um, I do. I think it's cute that <laughs> that uh, that Bo wants to keep her ballet recital on this tape. Um, she doesn't quite grasp the weight of the situation. And so as a dad, you just kind of have to go, fine, you can keep your ballet recital, go get a different tape. I love that it was a swimsuit edition as well. Um, I also like, and this is a set of scenes where they kind of start to hammer in a little bit. The glasses of water are still there. I think that this is the kind of the first glimpse of that, that you get to see. It's very, it's subtle. It's not in your face. Again, if you like this ending, this works. If you don't like the ending of this movie, you're probably pissed. Um, so I, I like that they're kind of, they're there, but they're not there. They're not so prevalent that it, it's in your face. Um, I love this dialogue scene. This is masterclass acting between Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix and really well shot by M. Night Shyamalan to have, you know, while the other person's talking to keep it on the other person's face, does that a couple times, which I'm glad because I, and all honesty, when Mel Gibson talks too close to the camera, I can't help but think of his portrayal on South Park, and it, it, it takes some of the seriousness out of it for me. <laughs> and so I have a hard time taking it seriously. But this scene I really think is fantastic. I mean, even you know, once Meryl starts to tell his story, I think is a little cheesy. I think it works really well against, you know, kind of it just works. And then um so you're in front of the TV now, and we, <laughs> I mean, Meryl sounded a little Alex Jonesy, not going to lie, a little bit, he's a little bit involved, but that's okay. I, I think we all would be at this point. Um, again, this is one of those times where I would just move. Like, I would have moved the first time I heard any kind of shenanigans in the cornfield. Nope, we're out of here. We're not staying on this farm. We're getting the hell out of town, because that. The house looks very Amityville-like anyway with those stairs, so I would have been moved out of that house. Um, again, you get another lingering shot of all four posing, this time through the crack in the door, you know, as he pulls away. Again, it's 
it's awesome, but he does it like four or five times in this movie. But uh, one more thing. I love the brother-sister dynamic between uh, Morgan and Bo. I think both kids do a phenomenal job, which we already talked about. But the way their characters are written, to not, you know, normally in these movies, in any movie, brother and sisters feud. They're, you know, they have like, you know, dog or, you know, they have like little cat fights against each other all the time. And you don't get that dynamic in this film. You get a loving brother that really wants to protect his sister. And I think that's, you know, really, really good. Now, you know, this, where we have our cutoff point kind of gets into some stuff to me where the movie just becomes true. Not heartbreaking, but man, the next the next set of scenes really starts to kind of like punch me in the gut a little bit because I'm invested in this family as a character. Yeah, um, so, you know, Graham, when we get in the cornfield and Graham's walking through and we hear this shit going on behind the click and the noises, that's, that was really a big oh shit moment for me because when you're watching the first time, you're like, oh God, it's got him. He, he's done for. But then he drops flash side and he picks flashback flashlight back up and he shines it down the walkway there and you see the like he, he does it at the end too when uh morgan is in front of the cold shoot but the camera is there but you're not sure what you you should be looking at until you see it move and i think that that's a that's really well done as well because the the light was shining down the walkway there but then you see the leg go into the uh into the corn and it's just like a it really builds suspense even more um, it's a big oh shit moment. I love when Morgan was, when they're in the living room and Morgan's sitting there trying to convince Bo, let me tape over this. And he's like, you know, science is changing before our very eyes. He gives her this very impassioned speech and she's like, not my ball- ballet recital. And he's like, dad, he's like, he just gives up to pick another tape. That was, that was <laughs> phenom- phenomenal family dynamic there. Um, yes. and then I loved it when he sits on the couch, you hear the newscaster repeat the exact same phrase. And Morgan goes, told you. Like, that was fucking awesome, too. <laughs> um, the dialogue on the couch between Meryl and Graham, man, that was powerful. And a lot of it had to do with how it was shot. Like, it's dark. You can only see the, you know, their faces only lit up from the television. And only half of Gibson's face is lit up. And Meryl is all the way in to what he's saying. He, he's hearing him. Uh, it's just some powerful, powerful stuff there. And, and then, you know, Meryl tells him about him missing out on the girl. Because she threw up on herself. And then uh, Graham has the flashback of his wife dying. So it's like, you know, a couple brothers here who have both lost two lovers. Um, that's another one. And, uh, you know, it's, it's also funny how the TV, the TV and radio is really being dominated by the aliens. You had to think that if they were tuned into what was on uh, the television, they really had to feel like we own the night. Um <laughs> boy, Thank you. Uh, but, you know, I, I really... Another powerful scene, though, was... I liked how they did the flashbacks in this movie. Because so often we get the flashbacks and they're just like... not. There's no really rhyme or reason. There's like flashback in your face. But this one... Right. I like how they do it in this one as a dream. Because, you know, having flashback dreams of traumatic events is a very real thing. And so I just think that that was a brilliant way... Uh, filling us in on the past and showing us glimpses of the past and what happened that night without just kind of forcing it upon us. So I thought that was really well done. Um, and then lastly, you know, the scene where, where they're sitting on the bed, Graham walks in like, where the hell the kid's at? And he finds them in the bed with the, with the uh, tinfoil hats on his, his the look on his face. 
had to be similar to the look on my face when I look at the camera tonight, look at my screen, and Brian is sitting here wearing one of those hats. I really hate that you took it off. But, um, you know, that that was hilarious to me. I, I won't forget, like, that was an iconic thing. Like, you know, used to want to make one. Mom wouldn't let me waste that much in aluminum foil. Uh, there it is. Brian's got it back on. I know you can't see it at home, but it's great. Um, but it's it's also just a great bit of acting between all three involved when he's sitting on the bed. You know, Gibson's really playing the skeptic father. It's like, come on, don't buy into this. I'm going to entertain right. you because you're kids, and I'm not going to just crush your, your imagination as your father. So I'll let you play into a little bit, but come on, let's get real here. And then the kids are like, I especially love it when Bo said, not if you're going to poke fun. Like, just, I love the dialogue between the three here and the dynamic. They do a great job of that throughout this movie, and it's just fully on display in this set of scenes between all four actors. So, another great set of scenes. Brian, I can't help but think you look like a Hershey kiss right now. <laughs> That's exactly what you look like. You are welcome. <laughs> I was going to say, thanks, man. <laughs> all right. What is this episode? All right. <laughs> Oh, Graham is at canceled. Ray's house now. <laughs> he walks around the house when no one answers the door. He looks in the house and turns around and sees him sitting in his SUV. He walks to him and sees the vehicle all packed up and blood on his shirt. He tells Graham his number has been by his phone for over six months. He thanks him for coming over. He tells him about the night he hit Graham's wife, Colleen. He says if this is the end of the world, I'm screwed, huh? He cranks the car up and says he's heading to the lake. He thinks the aliens don't like water since their signs are in crops. He says he's so sorry for making him question his faith. Graham becomes emotional and Ray says, don't look in the pantry, I locked one in there. Merrill still watching the news and a story from Brazil comes on. At a kid's birthday party and they see one of the, you know, this is one of those iconic scenes from film. Uh, he sees one of the kids at the party and the aliens walk out in front of them. Merrill is terrified and jumps back as the kids scream. Rewind to see it again and pause on the creature. Graham goes in Ray's house and says police are here. He just wants to talk and they know about the hoax. He asks for his name and why he did it. He looks under the door crack and he, he looks up and he sees a knife. He uses the knife as a mirror but doesn't see anything. He sets the knife down and walks away then comes back. A hand reaches for him and he cuts its fingers off. Graham is back home again and locks the door. Merrill has a tin hat on now too. Merrill says their skin changes colors and Graham asks what if they're hostile. He says they'll invade with ground tactics, hand-to-hand -hand combat, no nuclear weapons. They either win or they lose and come back in thousands of years with full forces. He tells them the theory of them not liking water, possibly. He tells them he saw one at Ray's house and it wanted to harm them. He says he, we can hide in the, in the home or go to the lake. He says at least we'll be together. He now polls them and what they want to do. Graham and Bo vote yes. Graham now says his vote counts as two because he's two parents. Morgan says they'll be safe here is where we lived with mom. Bo changes her vote, so Graham loses three to two. Graham says they're going to board up every window because they struggle with pantry doors. Merrill is outside, and he stares at the cornfield. He throws a rock into the field, and he walks back inside the house. Morgan calls for the adults, and they see more appearance of lights. 274 cities and 400 within the hour, appearing within one mile of a crop field. Morgan says they're hostile. War of the Worlds. And the guy on TV says, God be with us all. All right, Brian, go ahead. God, I love that. 
So the first time I'll watch this and you see Graham looking through uh, Ray's windows and all the stuff's like laying around. First thing I thought was, oh shit, Ray's dead. And then he like turns around and there's a car and I think, oh shit, he's about to get framed for Ray's murder. And I don't know. I don't know why that popped in my head. I was definitely glad to be wrong. Just thought I'd share my first take on the scene, you know, before actually watching it through. Um, no idea why that sticks with me either after 19 years of, of you know, at the time of us recording this. But, um, you know, you, so you get this convo and I think Shyamalan did a fantastic job here. But but I imagine, you know, a lot of this is raw emotion because this scene was was shot a day after a member of uh, Shyamalan's family passed away. So. I'm sure that, you know, was channeled during his performance. It definitely comes across that way to me anyway. And uh, apparently Gibson didn't realize he was playing Ray until until the day that uh, they came to shoot their scenes together. Um, you know, when you get this deep emotional scene and the camera focusing on Gibson, who who gives just another phenomenal performance without even hardly saying a word. It's just he's conveying so much emotion just through his facial expressions and you know, and then he just hits him with the atom bomb at the end. Oh yeah, probably uh, probably don't like water. And by the way, there's one locked in the pantry. Goodbye. And you're like, what? What? What the fuck did he just say? And, <laughs> and uh, you know, and then you get that video of the alien at the birthday party. I mean, let me just tell you, I told you in the opening. I distinctly remember this in the theater. Um, this was the one scene where I mean, I, I mean, I know I did. It's in broad daylight. It's it's not some jump scared at all and then you see this creature just walk across the screen and everybody was just so i mean i know i was just so entranced from the moment you just got so like glued that you're just there like oh my god and the whole theater almost screamed it was like this weird sound not these like laughing joking screams that you get when you're in this like theater full of people watching you know a slasher or something like halloween it's genuinely like good god you know and that's the moment that i remember when i brought my friend to watch it like i didn't even watch the movie i was watching him and his reaction in this part so it would have definitely made a good fantastic tiktok video 19 years later <laughs> um also a little nitpick playing baseball my whole life dustin can attest to this merrill throwing that rock into the cornfield looked as he had zero baseball form there was no crow hop he did not look like he had been playing it just looked like an actor throwing a rock not an ex-baseball player that played minor league. You know, I'm sorry. That's just, you know, it's just not something you lose, you know, after you quit playing baseball. So it's just something that stood out to me, a little nitpick. Um, that's all I had. Go ahead, Mike. You're not wrong. Hey, hey my man was a DH. What y'all talking about? <laughs> he didn't throw the ball. He said, fuck that ball. Uh, so, yeah, I would have had a really rough time. Again, I said this in a joking way, but now I'm being serious. I would have had a really rough time sitting and listening to the man that's responsible for the death of my wife, even if it's an accident. Um, so I got to give flowers to the character of Graham here because that's tough. That's a really hard thing. And Mel Gibson's, his facials in this scene, are, in, in this scene is really, really good. And I think M. Night Shyamalan is good in this scene. Um, he's cameoed in some of his other films I don't think are, are great or anything. But this one, I think he does a really good job. Um, at the end, he throws in the line, I don't think they like water. To me, it's a little too on the nose with a rewatch. First time you see it, no. But after that, it becomes too on the nose. It's not like the glasses, which I mentioned in the last set of scene. Now it's like, okay, you're throwing it in our face. Um, so, so that was a little much. Um, uh, so this may... <laughs> My man Merrill is actually losing it. This man is yelling vomitos at a screen of, of kids that can't hear him. 
<laughs> He's yelling <laughs> Spanish at kids that are speaking Portuguese. I know. I, know. <laughs> I said the same thing. I was like, it's not even the right word. Come on, man. Um, look, this is very stereotypical of me, and I don't care because it's true. As a character, Graham is a dumb white man in a horror movie. This man goes investigating this closet with a knife. Don't do that. Run. Chicken run. I already made that joke, but do it. Run out of the other way. Come on, man. Um, so I crack up every time I watch this movie when he walks in and everyone has the tinfoil hats on. Everyone. <laughs> it's a perfect picture. It's a great uh, meme too as well for you know conspiracy people i love it uh i think it's awesome it makes me laugh every time again small flowers here to roy colkin because his scene with graham on the stairs talking back and forth it's fantastic it's it's really really good acting from a kid and you could see the chops you could see why i mean i think both colkins are really good at what they do but as far as child acting goes you know, being in a serious role, give me Rory in a serious role over Macaulay for sure. Like you could just see the acting chops in the family though, here as a young kid. Um, although, although Kevin McAllister would have booby trapped this house so well, the aliens are welcome. I mean, Dude, that's fair. Aliens up. Paint can to the face alien. <laughs> I mean, to the face, uh, you know, there's no cardboard cutouts of Michael Jordan lying around in that cornfield. So, you know, you never know. Um, look, look, I, I really love the, this scene gets into the family dynamic because this man takes a vote on what they should do. In most situations, the dad's like, get your shit. We're getting out of here. If that's what he wants to do, but he takes a vote, gets overruled in a way. And is kind of forced to stay there. And, um, I think we're really starting to see some of the crumbling within the character of Graham. He's, he's, you know, this is. You could tell he's kind of a character that hasn't worked through his grief very well. And so, and the kids kind of pick up on that. It's why there's not a good dynamic between him and Morgan. And it kind of starts to show right here. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix walking around smoking a cigarette kind of caught me off guard because, but then I remembered what year this was. And from like 97 to 02, every TV show and movie had somebody smoking a cig in it. So I guess that's just what it is. Um, I like, <laughs> I, I like the, I like the line that Merrill gives where he says it's like War of the Worlds. It's not like War of the Worlds. It is War of the Worlds, technically. My favorite line in this whole whole movie, I think, outside of some of the funny dialogue, is the God be with us line, or the uh, God be with us all line, because it really ties into the themes of this film, yeah. or the you know the layered themes of the film, and I think that was de- delivered well, and, you know, Graham hears that. That's a. I mean, he's already his faith has already been tested. He's no longer a man of faith, and and to have that line kind of thrown in there at this point, I think is is um is 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 really good writing. One more thing. This is just where the movie starts to take a turn and intensify a little bit. Uh, we're getting more away from you know the family dynamic. It's already been built. Now we're kind of getting into the suspense and thriller aspect of it, and I think it's really good. Yeah. Well, hey, before you before you go, Dustin, like Mike, you brought up the family dynamic, and too, I wanted to point out, just like what we talked about earlier, when Graham's, you know, giving them the option of going to the lake or staying at home, he he says the line, you know, again, and might, you might think it's too on the nose, but he does say, whatever we do, at least we'll be together. So that even more foreshadows the fact that once again, to beat these things. 
they'll have to work together. So, you know, you brought up the family dynamic. It reminded me about that part for sure. Yeah, I'd like to see these aliens try to fuck with Vin Diesel's family. You don't mess with family. Family? Um, Did you say family? Anyway, I hate how uh, quickly Ray figured out the or jumped to the conclusion about the water thing. Uh, that's that's another conclu- uh, another negative I have on this movie is, you know, there's some great acting in this scene. It's tense as hell when he's looking through the window and you see the shit, the house is, uh, you know, looks like a tornado's ran through it. And then the camera pans to his side. Like anytime a, a movie does that where the camera pans to the side of a character to show you what their surroundings are, you just get that feeling like something's going to jump out and get them. And it didn't happen. There was no jump scare here. But it just it really intensified things. And then the camera keeps panning around his surroundings and you see the car uh, and he's just kind of frozen in the driver's seat. And when Graham walks over to him, they have a hell of a talk. I mean, a hell of a talk because, you know, Ray saying, I can't imagine that guys who kill reverend's wives are exactly ushered into heaven. Um, That's tough. And because, you know, he's been living with this guilt since it happened. And then just seeing the nonverbal acting by Mel Gibson in this scene, him fighting the tears and just having to sit there and let this guy tell him he's sorry when he really does not want to hear that. Like that is a powerful scene by Mel Gibson. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, it's just, it's, it's all kind of spoiled for me when he's like, I'm going to go to the lake. These things don't seem to like water. Like, where's the logic? Like I get it. None of the crop circles have been around water, but that's just a hell of a conclusion to jump to. The logic wasn't strong enough for, uh, to justify that. To yeah. Me. I mean, all he had to do is fix that to fix that is say he heard on the news that, that this was the case, you yeah. know, or just something, just the fact that he came up with it. I completely agree with you. Yeah. He read in a book that aliens don't like water, which has always been a funny thing for me. Cause it's not the first movie to do that where aliens hate water. Yet aliens always want to invade a planet. That's mostly water. Like, okay, come on guys. Um, well, but technically they didn't want the planet. That's true. They just wanted to harvest people, but you would think right. that they would find somewhere else to harvest because we got a lot of water and we're mostly water. <laughs> You're so, right. That, we are mostly water. And that is where the fan theory slash allegory comes into play. That's why it makes a little more sense. Because aliens, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um we get an iconic scene with Meryl in the closet watching seeing the alien on TV. I mean, that is iconic. Just seeing him like his holy shit, jump out of the chair moment and kind of turn around then. But he has to come back and stand in front of the TV and watch it again. That's a great scene there. Um, Then we get back to Ray's house. That shit was so funny to me. Graham's dialogue is so funny. Uh, I'm the police. Uh, We've already got some of your friends. We took them away in the paddy wagon. And then he even moused himself. Paddy wagon? Like, what are you doing? Like, that shit cracked me up. Um, But I agree... Oh, and also, but this scene goes back to Ray, though. So, Ray, you're just going to sit there and pour your heart out, say you're sorry for killing his wife, and then, oh, by the way, there's one in the cl- uh, kitchen. I got to go. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, slow down. Come back, come back, partner. Like, tell me what exactly is in the kitchen. Tell me what happened to you. Uh, but instead, he left him to chance it and find out himself. Like, that was a dick move. Um, <laughs> but fun fact, the pantry scene there with Mel Gibson and the, and the alien trapped in the pantry actually took three weeks to film that scene. So they definitely put a lot of care and effort into that scene. Uh, and then the birthday party scene where we get the revelation of the alien itself. That scene uh, has been named by several film critics as one of the scariest scenes of all time. 
And like you said, Brian, it's not one of those like you're screaming because there's gore. You're screaming because there's murders. Because, in fact, we don't really get a true death in this movie um, other than his wife. And so there's no deaths at the hand of the villain, quote unquote villain. And so this is just pure fear. This is just pure suspense. And holy shit, I'm afraid of the unknown. Uh, And so, yeah, great, great bits there. Um, And then it is funny, like you said, Mike, when he shows up back home and, uh, you know, he sees his brother bear has the tinfoil hat on. Go ahead. Hey, I'm just saying, I just love the role that Morgan takes on. He he decides, I'm going to be my sister's keeper. That's an Abigail Breslin film, by the way. There's the reference. Oh, now we're going to other ones? No. this is. We're almost out of Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix, guys. <laughs> I had to go Abigail Breslin, man. I'm just saying. It's yeah, not like... we're happy about that, It's not. <laughs> it's not like in this movie she's Little Miss Sunshine or anything. That's true. But, you know, seeing the alien on TV was definitely something to scream for. It's true. Scream for. Scream for. Oh, scream for. Nice. I like it. (laughs) Hey, listen, on a serious note, you were bringing up the the cinematography in this scene. I I, got to bring up the fact that this whole pantry scene is is shown to you through the reflection of the knife. I thought that was fucking amazing. Fantastic. Fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, Graham says he's going to get back to the windows. Meryl asks if the kids are okay, and he tells them he won't let anything happen to them. Morgan says he wishes he was their dad, and then Meryl scolds him, saying not to say that again. It's super windy outside with all the wind chimes chiming. Graham says they'll they'll all sleep in the family room. Everyone starts naming off what they want for dinner. All want different foods. French toast and mashed potatoes, WTF. Kitchen is a hot mess from all the cooking. At the table, and Morgan wants to say a prayer, and Graham doesn't want to. He tells his dad, I hate you, and he let mom die. Graham says he's not wasting another minute on prayer, and he starts yelling at them to eat. The kids cry, and Graham breaks down crying too. His kids hug him, and he snatches Meryl to hug all of them. Baby monitor goes off now to more noises. They go to the closet where the TV has no signal. It's happening, Graham says. Graham snatches the door shut, and he and Meryl board it off. Graham tells Bo about when she was born and how the nurses never saw a baby so beautiful. She smiled at him, and babies aren't supposed to be able to smile when they're that young. Morgan says they forgot Isabel. Now we hear the dog yelp and whimper. They hear footsteps outside the house, and they see shadows walk past the windows. They hear loud thuds as they try and get into the house. He now tells Morgan of when he was born. His mama dreamed about him her whole life. The aliens are in the house. He cries as he listens to his dad's story. Meryl walks up the stairs and we hear footsteps. They go into the basement now as they see alien fingers under the door. Morgan says they forgot the full hats. Graham hears an alien on the other side of the door in the basement. He yells for Meryl, then the lights go out as the bulb shatters. Morgan finds a flashlight as they block off the door. They hear loud knocks from the door. They're just making noises, not trying to actually open the door. Morgan says they're smart and good problem fixers. Graham says there's a, there's a coal chute down here and he tries to find it. They feel air, and we see Morgan grabbed by an alien an alien hand behind him. Graham and Meryl run to rescue him, and then Meryl blocks off the vent with big bags of, like, like crop seeds. And the next two scenes are ending. Go ahead, Brian. So Morgan telling Meryl, you know, that, that he wishes he was his dad, that really shows something that they really haven't hit on a lot here. At least I didn't feel like that they had up until this point, which is that really, you know, fractured relationship between Graham and Morgan. 
<clears throat> kind of showing here at this point that they may be together physically, but like as a family, the whole thing hasn't, they haven't all fully healed from losing Colleen. And, you know, again, it's fractured. Um, and this is just such a heartfelt story. This story told of this family, like with the backdrop of, of an alien uh, invasion. I think there's so many layers to this where I think the, the alien is the least of, of the point of this movie. And, you know, to me, you get, you get a lot of like, like this is our last supper vibes where everyone picks their favorite meals. And while they were picking, I couldn't help but think good thing he has all that shit because like my luck, I would have picked like a steak and there's no fucking steak in the fridge. You know, I would have to tell my kids we can't have a fucking Panda Express, pick something we have like cereal. Jesus, I don't know. But, but this whole thing like definitely is the calm before the storm of the third act. And it really gives you that not foreshadowing. What's it called? Foreboding feeling here um it did me at least the uh the only thing i didn't like here is is about about this whole entire part of dinner um it's where where graham you know graham wouldn't pray even though morgan wanted him to um i thought it was great acting by gibson here losing his shit but to me like even with him telling his daddy hated him and to me it just kind of seemed a little bit out of place like i think you could have gotten to the hug and the losing your shit um showing how scared you are from from the from the actors without the I'm not wasting time on prayer and I hate you exchange but I mean to me it was just a little much but that's just me um you know and then you get that emergency broadcasting system sound and just I mean like the nailing the boards to the backdrop of that whole you know almost like an x-files-esque music and then the the crickets just stopping and, and you and you hear the look on his or you see the look on his face just holy shit like it's it's on and you know the the closing shot of this set where the board covers the camera and you know i know that's just like film school 101 technique but i just i fucking love it go ahead uh yeah man this is some powerful gut punch stuff right here that we get i feel for graham uh right now he's trying to protect his kids but obviously there's some fractured relationship like you mentioned between him and morgan and you know, having or telling, you know, his uncle that he wishes he was his dad. That's tough to hear when you're invested in this character that that uh, that Mel Gibson has portrayed. I love this food scene. I, I think it's really cool. Everyone gets to kind of pick their last dinner or last supper. Um, uh, again, last supper, this whole thing you mentioned kind of goes into more of the allegory for everything that comes in the fan theory that a lot of people have come up with that. Uh, by the way, M. Night Shyamalan has not denied that that that, that that's what this movie is either. So it, it kind of helps it out a little bit. Um, but I love the food scene. I love that everybody gets to eat what they want. Uh, there was a couple nights in my house growing up. I wish it was like that. Thankful for the meals, mom and dad. But I'm 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 just saying, I would have definitely taken you know uh, I definitely would have taken Morgan's meal a couple times. Anyway, um, very powerful scene here where they've. I'm investing all four of these characters and what I think Brian, you touched on. Yeah. Maybe the hating him and, and you know, him not wanting to pray. That was a little much, but to me, what makes the scene is the reactions from Bo and, and Meryl, like their reaction to what's taking place. Yeah. The looks on their faces is really, really good. And you see both sides of, of, you know, Morgan and Graham's situation. You can understand Graham's loss of faith given what accident has taken place. But you can also see um, uh, Morgan who grew up with this power of prayer. That's how he's, that's how he was raised until what I would assume is pretty recently. And that's what he knows. And he thinks 
you know, this could be his last night on earth and he wants to pray. And I feel like I see both, both sides of that argument. I love that they come to, you know, one minute, I hate you. And the next minute they're hugging it out. It's an understanding that we're all kind of scared and dealing with this thing together. Really, really powerful stuff. Um, and I love the board closing on the camera too. That is a really cool shot. It's very basic, but I think it works. Um, I love the, the scene with Bo and Graham where he's telling her about the, you know, first time he ever saw her. I love that. It's touching. It's really, really cute. Um, you get kind of a more humanistic side. Now you get to see, uh, both kind of smile and we haven't seen a whole lot of smiling in this movie. And it was nice to kind of see that. Um, and again, you get the same conversation with him and Morgan. I think that's really cool too. I found myself kind of pulling for them to work their relationship out. The, uh, <laughs> the lights going out <laughs> because he has to find the ax or whatever. Really? I really like that. Uh, look, man, I love the way all this stuff down here is shot. You get, uh, the you know you know walking with the flashlights and everything else and I'm not ahead of myself am I am I scene by scene they've already gone down the stairs right yeah yeah okay I just want to make sure I had it right okay so I love the way the cold shoot scene is shot where they're walking around with those flashlights and they're kind of about to meet in the middle and then they kind of meet and they're looking at Morgan and there it is right there and I love honestly if you don't look hard enough. Yeah, you expect a kind of jump scare thing there, but I think it's a great jump scare. The hand coming out and grabbing him. It's the first time I ever saw it is not something I expected at all. And I I think it's really good. By the way, I, I know Merrill's looking for a job, so when all this is over, he should get a job at Tractor Supply, man. The way he moved all that seed in front of the in front of it, he he's got a career. He's got a career moving all that seed uh after all this is over. But this, this is one of my favorite sets of scenes, no doubt. Like Honestly, it's probably my favorite set of scenes just because we really start to get intensity in the family dynamic and everything else. And I think it's really, really good. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, yeah, that's all I have. So uh, I love the last meal dialogue. Like when they're when he's saying, what do you want? Anything? Name it. And Bo says spaghetti. OK. And then Morgan says, I want French toast and mashed potatoes. I love how Graham's like. Now we're talking. And then, uh, what about you, Meryl? Chicken teriyaki. All right. I'm going to have a baked cheeseburger with extra bacon. And so, like, I just thought that was great. But first of all, who the hell has, I mean, maybe I'm in the wrong here, or I'm in the minority here, but who has that much shit in their house? Like, I have everything you want. Just name it. Right. Like, that man that's, had what a, I, that's what a, I mean. That's crazy. Meet you, but, uh, it's like, I can understand having shit for French toast, and I can understand having stuff for a bacon cheeseburger. I can understand having spaghetti shit, mashed potatoes. Really, who has chicken teriyaki stuff on deck at all times? I guess that's what I'm getting at. But um, anyway, but the meal itself, that was tough as fuck to watch because it is, like you said, so powerful. And he's like, he, he won't even, he's done everything in his power, this whole movie, to comfort his kids and to make his kids feel safe and loved. But his angst and anger towards God is so strong that he won't even fake pray to amuse his kids. I think that's powerful shit. Um, and then, you know, when he's he cracks and he starts grabbing shit off everybody else's plate and he starts eating it. And then Morgan's crying and the, the family hug like that was just that was a great set of scenes. I get what you said, Brian, like it, it, it might have felt out of place or they could have done it differently. But for what it was, I thought it was 
really well yeah, done. Sure. Uh, one nitpick I have on this movie is they boarded up the doors on the wrong side in some instances. Like the door closed towards them. <laughs> and he was boarding across that side of the door with one board. So in other words, all the guy would have to do all the, on the other side, the alien, whoever, open the door, pull it towards them, duck underneath one board that they put up, and hey, we're in the same room. <laughs> so that was a big pet peeve. Um, Didn't even notice that. That's fun funny. fact, when he's telling Morgan, he's telling Bo the story about when they were born, and this is how I saw you for the first time. That's actually the stories of M. Night Shyamalan's uh, children's births. So I thought that was a nice touch that they added in there. Um, real bonehead move by Meryl. Oh, I got it. And he grabs the axe off the top and shatters the light bulb. Like, what an idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was just a huge, like, Homer Simpson dope moment. Um, but, you know, when they find the flashlight and they're shining around and you get over to Morgan, like I said, this is just like the leg going through the corn stalks when he's in the cornfield. The camera, the light's on him for a second, but you don't see any movement. You're like, what am I supposed to be looking at? And then the hand reaches out because also the aliens have that little camouflage technique that they use. But the hand reaches out and grabs him. It's like, oh, shit, I see the hand move now. Like, that's a great jump scare. Um, and then Mike's right. My man threw up those bags like it was nothing to block up the coal chute. And I laughed my ass off, though, when he's got all the bags are stacked. And he sees the can on the floor beside him. He's like, I'm not taking any chances. Everything I could stack in front of this, I'm going to stack. So he stacks the can on top of the bags. <laughs> like, that was funny. But overall, man, it's just a love fest for me in this movie. Another great set of scenes. You know, and going back to the sound, like, you hear Isabel dying, your mind creates more, you know, horror than they could ever really show you with, with mm -hmm. her dying. So I thought that was a brilliant choice. And, you know, definitely I had a lot of birds vibes that, you know, from while they were down here, which yeah. to me, I, I never caught before, before this viewing, because I'd never even seen the birds until Dustin picked it. So yeah, thank you're you. You're welcome. Nico loved that movie, but I did read that. Um, <laughs> I did read that in Night Shyamalan actually had the cast watch the birds several times during production because he wanted that kind of vibe. That was one of his inspirations for the movie. So yeah, um, definitely a good pick up there. Yeah, I just can't believe a lot of money to do that. I mean, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I just well they got paid pretty handsomely. Wait till you hear the budget. Um, I I can't. Hey, I just can't believe that Bo was such a scream queen. All right, back to you, Nico. Yeah, and I can't believe, I mean, listen, if someone sent me anything in the world to eat, I definitely maybe would have picked biscuits and gravy. <laughs> Wait, is biscuits uh, and gravy a movie someone was in? No, definitely maybe is. Definitely maybe is. Oh, okay. okay I was about to say, if, they, if they've been in a movie called Biscuits hey, and Dustin. Gravy. Hey, right, Dustin. Here, here's the ending. I can't take all these <laughs> these movie references. Oh, we've already lost all our audience. <laughs> all right. Graham realizes they don't have Morgan's asthma medicine, so he tries to help him control his breathing. Graham says, don't do this to me again, not again. I hate you, I hate you, he says. He tells Morgan, don't be, don't be afraid and to believe. It's about to pass. Meryl says, we should have saved the flashlights. Back to the night of Colleen's crash. Colleen was pinned between the truck and the tree. She won't be saved. The truck is holding her together. Officer asks Graham if he understands what she's telling him. This is the last time I'll see my wife, he asks. Graham wakes up and we hear the radio and Merrill found some light bulbs. Merrill tells Graham they're lucky as hell they're leaving. 
They'd been asleep for 12 hours or so. They had a poison gas, and a lot of people died. Something scared them off. People must have figured out how to beat them. Merrill asked Graham. He didn't think we'd make it through the night, did you? One thing Merrill can't take is when his older brother, the person he's everything he wants to be, loses faith in things. He saw in his eyes last night he never wants to see it again. Graham just says, okay. Morgan needs his medicine. Merrill says Philadelphia is clear, but who knows? They take the baby monitor and don't hear anything but static. They head upstairs with Morgan in Graham's arms to get his medicine. He lays him on the couch and now says they're dancing on the TV. Graham says he'll bring the TV in the living room. We see an alien in the TV reflection and has got a hold of Morgan. He realizes it's the one from the pantry with his missing fingers. Graham remembers the night of his wife's death when she, uh, he last spoke to her. She was taking a walk and says it was meant to be. Tell Graham to see and Merrill to swing away. Now we see Graham and Merrill's interaction on the couch again. It wasn't a coincidence. Graham tells Merrill to swing away. He grabs the bat off the wall and starts bludgeoning the alien as it turns its back to feed to, as it turns its back to them to feed the gas into Morgan. The alien falls into a dresser and water pours on it, burning its skin. Graham carries Morgan out and gives him the EpiPen shot. Merrill hits the alien more and more, and more water spills on it. We see the alien stop breathing in the TV reflection. His lungs were closed. No poison got in, Graham says. That's why he had his asthma attack. Morgan awakes and asks if someone saved me. I think someone did, Graham says. Quick shot through the house, and we see it's snowing outside now. We see Graham has gotten back into church. And then the, it just ends, and it says, an end night Shyamalan film as the end credits roll. All right, Brian, what do you think of the ending? Oh, I love the ending. I love how everything comes together, and I love how it's not so much of a quote-unquote twist. It's just, you know, how everything comes together. Um, you know, I think you definitely get more added scare factor here by the lights going out, of course, and I thought it was brilliant focusing on the flashlight on the ground as Morgan is grabbed, and you just kind of hear the commotion. You don't really know what happened at all until she picks the light up, and, you know, like Dustin was talking about, we see Meryl putting the seeds back up, and, and you know, it honestly had me tearing up literally tearing up watching Graham with Morgan. And I've seen this movie so many times, but just watching him, you know, helping him try to breathe again, you know, just again, you know, relating to Graham, putting myself in his shoes with my kids and just Joaquin does such a great job with his facial expressions on this, you know, in this set of scenes, you know, his face acting as we focus on him and not the situation, you know, going on the back. Um, a fact, definitely not a fun one, but a fact nonetheless, the uh, the scene in which Graham has his last conversation with his wife, where we finally get the full, you know, what happened with Colleen. It was actually scheduled for September 12th, 2001, and was filmed right after the cast and crew had a uh, 9-11 candlelight vigil. And, uh, but it was such an interesting choice, I thought, having the finale happen in the daylight. Um, to me, that just kind of showed how much this movie isn't about the aliens and how honestly deep it is and everything everything comes together this family all plays a part in it they all have a role in surviving and saving their family in the end and and i've seen this a ton of times and i still had tears running down my face when morgan woke back up i fucking love it i don't know if i've said it this movie or this this show yet but i love this movie yeah so i know the ending of this film you know critically takes a lot of flack um from a lot of people and i get that but if you view it through a different lens, I really think it works. I think, you know, we've kind of talked about the dynamic of the family and the, and the 
faith and all that stuff throughout the whole review here. And I think because of that, this works. Now, I understand, um, you know, I'm skipping around here, but the alien being taken out by quote-unquote water is is not a great ending to a monster movie. I understand that. I get it. Um, but I'll get into that in a second. Look, great scene or great acting right here with uh, Culkin and Gibson, you know, where uh, Morgan can't breathe. Like, I love how he's how, how Gibson portrays being a good father that way, and I think Culkin does a great job. Uh, in the struggle, um, then you get you you actually get the scene where Colleen, you know, you you get to see her, and she's only in this movie for that brief moment, but she's technically in this movie the entire time, and I think that's what makes her work as a character. She's not she's there, but she's not there, and you finally get to see that moment between those two. It's almost this is the one time where I actually have to block out scary movie three because they ruined this scene <laughs> for me as far as um i mean they kind of play on it a little bit and it make it less serious and stuff and it's it's funny in that movie but it's hard not to remember it while watching this and i but man powerful scene um it's almost like colin lee was trying to give him some signs <laughs> anyway uh i'll okay. allow it thank you thank you thank you <laughs> uh, i'm look, cutting it I, Oh, you don't have to do that. Come on. Um, look, you knew it was too good to be true that everything was just going to be fine overnight. You just knew that. I do like the fact that this movie gives you that sense of calm before one last storm that we're going to get. I like that. It kind of pulls me in a little bit because you're like, wait, that's it? No, no, it's not it. Um, so, uh, look, I'm not the biggest fan of water being the you know, kryptonite of these alien things. But again, we kind of talked about it. So I'll touch on it briefly. I'm going to give you a video to go watch. That'll do a lot better. If you go watch that film theories, which is a what culture video on YouTube or Ash, who a lot of people in the horror community know, cause she, she did a lot of the what culture horror and uh, gaming stuff and all that. Ash at the time of what culture does a really good narration video of what signs is really about. It's a fil- It's that film theory on YouTube. Highly recommend going to watch that because they get into this movie. Really, be these aliens are not aliens. They're they're Graham's demons. Okay, his past, his dark past, um, a punishment from God because he lost his faith, um, and you know he's trying to overcome his demons. It's kind of it's an allegory. And when you view the, and look, I understand. Yes, they're aliens, but if you view the movie through this lens. The water being holy water, burning those demons makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and I know, to me, that's not a stretch because M. Night's kind of, well, M. Night's almost confirmed it. So you guys can give me that look if you want. But in interviews, he's talked about it numerous times. Um, but again, it's not, I, if that's not how you want to view the movie, that's fine. But it is, it, it, it is there. This movie has all kinds of religious overtones in the first place. I mean, it stars freaking Mel Gibson. What more do you need? But, I don't have a problem with the ending either way because like we talked about, they hinted at it the whole movie. They don't like to go near water. None of their crop circles are near lakes. Like it's in the movie as subtext anyway. Before I give, go through my breakdown of that scene, that, that theory would be more okay with me if uh, it was only affecting him and his family. But the That's fact fair. is affecting the That's whole fair. world. And then uh, Meryl even says a lot of people died like, <laughs> Right, that's, that's fair. You know, I don't, that's the only reason I 
that's understandable. Anyway. Oh, and I, th- I think that it's, I think that the faith part is correct. I think that it is definitely about losing his faith and, and bringing it back. But I think that's the yeah. focus of the movie. Yeah. I d- I I, the only part of that that I don't really buy at all is it being the aliens representing demons. I just, yeah. I mean, to me, to me, I just think that this, that's just the backdrop to, to what's really going on. That's fair. Same. The family dynamic. Same. Yeah. And M. Night, M. Night's even said in interviews before that this movie to him is particularly scary because he feels one of the scariest things a man can do is lose his faith. And so yeah. I agree with that. Uh, you know, I agree with what you said, Brian. So anyway, back to, to this set of scenes. I think that when they're in the basement, man, the uh, the flashlight, that's a great choice of a way to shoot this set of scenes because you really didn't know what you know, are they in the basement with them? Like, what's going on? You you didn't know what the surroundings were. You couldn't tell what was on the edge of darkness. Graham talking to God, but that was just really difficult to watch when Morgan is basically dead and he, he or he's having an asthma attack and he's dying. And that was just really tough to watch because he's telling God, "You cannot do this to me." And like that, that shit's tough. Wow. Um, then you know they get upstairs. You think, okay, everything's great. It's over with. Thank God we can be a family again. And then you get the revelation. I love how they revealed it. He's willing TV out and we get the reflection of the alien in the TV. And most of the, most of the shots we get of the alien in this final scene is from that perspective. You're looking at the reflection TV. I think that's very good choice because my biggest gripe with this entire movie is the way the alien looked. I don't think the alien looked great. The CG was not top notch. Um, is it wasn't terrible, I guess, but it just didn't look as good as I think it should have. Um, you know, I do wish that I, I, or I like how he has the flashback right then. He remembers and it's like, holy shit, everything she was telling me uh, is it's relevant. And so it is like she was having a almost a glimpse in the future as to her word choice there. And I like how Meryl swing away. Now, the only thing about it is I hate that it had to be his bat that shattered and broke because it obviously meant something to him. He had the damn thing hanging on the wall. I really wish he had a better weapon, you know, maybe something with the blade because we all know machete kills. That's another one. Um, (laughs) Something about the bat I didn't understand, though. So that's Graham's house, right? And Graham had the bat hanging up with the little plaque. Was that because he was just, hey, I'm proud of my brother? Or is that something Merrill put up whenever he moved in? That's that's the yeah that's a good point. I, that's how I took it. I took it as you know he moved in. This is your home now too. Make yourself a home. Well, I want to hang my bat up, and he's like, well, I'm proud of you. So yeah, you hang it out, hang it on the wall. So that's the way I took it. But uh, I get what you're saying. Now, um, and like I said, when you see, you get the shot of the bat broken on the floor, it's like, damn. To me, that just proves that this was a, one of those moments. It's like bigger than anything. You don't care what you break. Yeah. It's a material thing because he saved the family. He saved the day here. And then, you know, we get outside and Morgan is laying there dying in his dad's arm. And that's uh, another powerful scene because in that scene, you see Graham kind of regain his faith. He's like, okay, big guy, come on, don't do this. His lungs are closed. Help me out here. Throw me a bone. That's a powerful scene. Now, I said that it's been absent the past couple weeks, but we're bringing it back. This movie has a Man Fuck Them Kids Award. The Man Fuck Them Kids Award in this movie goes to Meryl and Graham because neither one of them had the idea, hey, maybe we should take Bo away from this. Maybe she shouldn't watch her brother die. Because 
Had he died, she would have been fucked for life knowing that she watched that happen. Uh, they're just like, nah, watch it. I don't give a shit. We're too consumed. <laughs> and all Meryl was doing is walk around in circles, his hands on his head, like, oh my God, oh my God. Grab the damn girl and take her inside, take her around the corner. Don't let her watch this. But anyway, uh, a great ending to a great damn movie that, like I said, it's been a couple of years, I think, since I watched it, when I watched it today. I'm going to watch it again probably before the, the weekend's over. Like, I love this effing movie. All right. Any more final thoughts before we jump into a couple of fan questions? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Uh, Jman5765 on Instagram asked, what was everyone's reaction to seeing the alien in the news footage? I told mine, so. Yeah, I mean, so when you're seeing it in the news footage, I don't think it looks as bad as when you see it in their house. And so I thought that it was awesome. I thought it was one of those, oh, shit, like, that's what this thing is. Like, there's a, there it is. It's real now. It's a real threat. You're not just seeing a limb going through a cornfield. You're not just hearing clicking sounds. It has a look now. And uh, so I, th- I thought it was an awesome scene. You, nope. Everything you said, I agree. Absolutely. Uh, considering, I think, I, I, since I have a little bit of a different perspective, I think, like Mike mentioned earlier, I think kind of seeing Scary Movie 3 first before this has kind of affected the, the impact, I guess. Because to me, it was just, I know it's highly regarded scene, but to me, it was just kind of another scene because I've already seen it. Like, like I'm not looking forward to watching The Sixth Sense because I already know the plot twist. So maybe already knowing it has kind of affected it, um, my point of view. And Sean Irwin asked, and I'll let Mike touch on this because I have no idea about this other theory. Would it have been better if they had stuck with the original idea of them being demons or is that too different? I could take or leave either one of those. Like aliens, demons, kind of the. If, if the movie's the exact same, I really don't see much uh, difference in the plot. So I, I like either one. Fair enough. Uh, let's jump into fun facts real quick. I've only got a few of them. Uh, from all from IMDb, the artwork in the book about extraterrestrials was done by writer and director M Knight's daughter uh, Salika Shemalon. Uh, the stories of the children's birth are actually the stories of M Knight's two children. Joaquin Phoenix replaced Mark Ruffalo, who had to pull out of the film due to a brain tumor. It was later found to be benign. Uh, the production used a new watering technique to make the corn grow faster, which the Delaware Valley Agricultural College was then very keen to adopt for themselves. M. Knight wanted Mel Gibson because he's the guy you believe will protect his family at all costs. Uh, uh, Mel Gibson didn't realize Shamalon was playing the vet until that day they came to shoot. And the last one I have is the Brazilian video was shot with a household camcorder by M. Knight himself. I only have two. I'll go ahead. The Graham Hess was originally written as an older character. Paul Newman was offered the role, but turned it down, as did Clint Eastwood. Um, and my last one is, you know, Cherry Jones, Officer Paskey, which I gave so much praises at the beginning of the movie. She was also in The Village, Perfect Storm. Uh, and Ocean's 12, which I absolutely love her in Ocean's 12. That's what I remember her the most in. Uh, just an outstanding actress. I got two that I, we haven't said. Um, so M. Night considered calling this movie either the Alien Bulletin or Visitors before settling on Signs. Thank God he settled on Signs because if this movie was called the Alien Bulletin, I don't think I ever would have watched it in the first place. Um, visitors, I guess, would have been all right. Uh Johnny Depp was approached to originally approached to star. Now that's the only information I have. So I'm assuming that would be for Merrill's role. Cause I don't think he's, 
you know, the original is written for Graham to be older, so surely it wouldn't have been for Graham. But yeah, Johnny Depp. I'm glad they went with who they went with. It all worked out. Absolutely. Uh, this movie was made for a cool $72 million. <laughs> nice. Which is a lot. Uh, grossed $408.2 million. Uh, so made it, I said this movie did pretty well. It's the third highest grossing M. Night Shyamalan film. Wow. Nice. Mike, that's about how much money you got in your checking account, ain't it? You fund this? Shit, I, I wish. <laughs> I wish. All right, let's uh let's jump into the rating. Uh, who anybody want to go first tonight in particular? Hey, I'll go first. I'll get mine out of the way. Mine's short and Uh-oh. sweet. He's about um, to put his dick on the table. <laughs> Look, watching this as a kid just out of high school and to now watching this as a parent, um, I I related to Meryl then, but but now I relate to Graham and and you know having a boy and a girl myself with the same type of relationship Bo and Morgan have here, it just it sucks me into this movie even more, which. You know, I didn't even think was possible, to be honest. Uh, This movie, you know, isn't about aliens, obviously. It's about loss, fractured family relationships. It's about faith, losing that faith, gaining it back, coming back together. I love this movie. I I give it a 10. Nice. I'll go go ahead and go, too, so that we can just keep on this high note. Um, I Like I said, I love this movie. Uh, From the first time I watched it, it was one that, when it was on pay-per-view, just kept watching it over and over and over. Um, I own the movie, um, so I own a lot of movies, but this one I've owned for a long time. It's not one of those I just bought on a whim because, hey, I do a horror movie podcast now. Let's just go ahead and buy this. No, I, I've owned this one for a long time. Um, it's It's got great replay value. It holds up over time. The acting is top-notch. The dialogue's great. So the only nitpicks I've had were very minor. So I'm going to go with a 9.25. Let's go. All right, let me go next, Mike, so we can end on a higher note, okay? <laughs> uh, I didn't know if we were going to pick a favorite and least favorite because there's really not much to pick, but I chose the alien at the end as my favorite, and the least favorite was Colleen. Um, but I can honestly see why nobody else picked one. I just wrote just a little paragraph. I, I haven't seen all of M. Night's movies, but all the ones I've seen up to this I enjoyed. But then came Signs. I wrote, Is this a bad movie? No. I think there's great acting with some great heartfelt scenes uh, with a nice underlying message of regaining your faith. However, I just found the movie too long and I, I, I kind of was kind of bored watching it a little bit. Uh, it just, I don't know why, Brian, the movie just didn't suck me in and have me invested. I mean, it's not personal, obviously just, so I don't personal. know. I just, I just, <laughs> I just couldn't get into it, man. It just, it didn't suck me in like I'd hoped, but I gave it a five and a half. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, everything that Brian and Dustin said, I pretty much second that. Um, obviously, I don't have any favorite or least favorite kills, although obviously the least favorite kill will be Colleen because that's sad. No, um, the dogs. Come on, man. What the hell? They killed dogs, dogs in this movie. Uh, I go. know. Both. Yeah. So I Co- Colleen's death like at least served a purpose. She was able to tell him, tell Meryl to swing away. Anyway, go ahead. I still think that's my least favorite kill. I don't want to see the woman die. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, again, love the acting. Love the cast. Uh, I love, I actually love the direction here. Cinematography is good. The scores used really well. Um, th- this movie is kind of scary in its own way, which I think is what makes this movie very unique. Uh, so really enjoy it. Glad we got to talk about it. I gave this movie a flat eight. All right. So for our composite score, that's an 8.1875. Hey, we're still above IMDb, even with me. <laughs> Flatten the curve. 
Yeah, this movie has a lot of uh, it has a lot of naysayers against it. That's for sure. Yeah, they're all wrong. Uh, you know what's crazy though is Nico said that he thought the movie's too long. When he said that, I looked it up until just now. I had no idea this movie was an hour and forty six minutes. Like I really don't feel the runtime at all when I watch this. I agree. And I hate um, that. so to each their own. I'm not. You know, you like the Baba Duke. I don't. So we we don't always agree. It ain't all sunshine and rainbows. At- Hey, Dustin, the, the funny thing is I said that movie's too long and Brian's going to kill my movie in two weeks about it's too long. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> He's going to rip that to pieces. Because uh, it is. <laughs> let's, uh, any more final thoughts on, on signs? Nope. I mean, nope. I can honestly see why people like it. I, I just, I don't know, just something just didn't connect. And it's not personal, Brian. I love you, brother. Uh, let's just give a quick shout out to our, our new Patreon don- blood donors. Uh, camp level is my uh, Clayton J who asks the question and Nina. Uh, if you follow up on your email, I'll give you a full name shout out, but all we have is Nina right now. And <laughs> camp counselor is my man, Hunter Nelson. Really I appreciate, appreciate the uh, yep. new Patreons. We, we, we really appreciate that. Uh, Mike, you want to announce your pick? Uh, yeah. So uh, it feels good to get to pick something again, though, even though we love you guys, it was kind of fun to go back and I, and, and, and pick a movie that I've been wanting to review for quite a while uh, after a rewatch here recently, how I decided on one hour photo uh, with Robin Williams in a serious role, which sometimes is some of his best work when you think of Goodwill hunting and other movies like that. Uh, This is a very different movie from him and I'm excited to talk about it. Yep. It's a really good movie. Uh, Anything else you need to shout out? Everybody knows that Robin Williams best movie was licensed to wed though with John Krasinski and Mandy Moore. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, Ooh, Hook's a good one. Hook is fine, yes. Flubber. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, well, if we, have, if we paint- have any listeners left, thank you. Yeah, if anyone wants to make a tally of how many movie references Mike and I made tonight, you'll be my hero. Nobody is still listening right now. <laughs> all, I, all I'm saying is if there's aliens outside, don't go out there. Hey, that was That's, a great That plug. one works. Best like plug that. of the night. Uh, thank you all of our listeners. Really appreciate it. Uh, we just dropped a couple, you know, recently an Ellie Cornell interview. Really awesome. Um, still kind of processing. We got that one. Y'all check that out. Uh, thanks for all the listens. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week. And uh, I'll take the check for the lateral plug earlier. Just want to remind everybody. Um,